Why talk about Charles Darwin on a dreary Sunday evening in the middle of February? Well, for two reasons. First of all, today is Darwin Day. It's an annual celebration of the life and the legacy of the famous naturalist. And the second reason, well, there's a side to Darwin's story that needs to be told, for it's a true story. It's a story that has been maligned ever since it came to light. It's an untold story, and with the Lord's help, I want to share that story with you tonight. Charles Darwin was born on this day, the 12th of February, 1809. His grandfather was Josiah Wedgwood, the famous founder of the Wedgwood Pottery Company. Some of you ladies might have Wedgwood at home. Well, Darwin's grandfather was the founder of the Wedgwood um, China Company. Darwin failed to become a doctor as his father had wanted him to, to become. Instead, he studied theology at Cambridge. Then he studied for the ministry of the Anglican Church. He married and uh, had a total of ten children. But sadly, in the year 1851, one of those children passed away. It was his second eldest child, his eldest daughter, Annie, and she passed away at the age of 10, just 10 years of age, when she died from a combination of scarlet fever and tuberculosis. It was a devastating blow to Charles and his wife, a blow that he barely recovered from. Throughout his life, Darwin was plagued by illness. But enough of the biographical detail. I want us to get tonight, folks, to the untold story. What is this untold story that we need to know about tonight? This untold story that needs to be told tonight. Well, it all starts with a visit by a lady called Elizabeth Cotton. She was an itinerant evangelist, and she visited Charles Darwin in the autumn of 1881. Cotton, who was known as Lady Hope, was invited to visit Darwin in his home at Down House in Kent. Let me recount this untold story to you tonight in the words of Lady Hope. So here are her own words. It was one of those glorious autumn afternoons that we sometimes enjoy in England when I was asked to go in and sit with the well-known professor Charles Darwin. He was almost bedridden for some months before he died. 
I used to feel when I saw him that his fine presence would make a grand picture for our Royal Academy. But never did I think so more strongly than on this particular occasion. He was sitting up in bed, wearing a soft embroidered dressing gown of rather a rich purple shade. Propped up by pillows, he was gazing out on a far-stretching scene of woods and cornfields, which glowed in the light of one of those marvellous sunsets which are the beauty of Kent and Surrey. His noble forehead and fine features seemed to be lit up with pleasure as I entered the room. He waved his hand toward the window as he pointed out the scene beyond, while in the other hand he held an open Bible, which he was always studying. What are you reading now? I asked as I seated myself by his bedside. Hebrews, he answered. Still Hebrews, the royal book. I call it the royal book. Isn't it grand? Then placing his finger on certain passages, he commented on them. I made some allusion to the strong opinions expressed by many persons on the history of the creation of the universe, its grandeur, and then their treatment of the earlier chapters of the book of Genesis. He seemed greatly distressed. His fingers twitched nervously, and a look of agony came over his face as he said, I was a young man with unformed ideas. I threw out queries, suggestions, wondering all the time over everything. And to my astonishment, the ideas took like wildfire. People made a religion of them. Then he paused, and after a few more sentences on the holiness of God and the grandeur of the Bible... Looking at the Bible which he was holding tenderly all the time, he suddenly said, I have a summer house in the garden which holds about 30 people. It is over there pointing through the open window. I want you very much to speak there. I know you read the Bible in the villages. Tomorrow afternoon I should like the servants on the estate, some tenants, and a few of the neighbours to gather there. Will you speak to them? What shall I speak about? I asked. Christ Jesus, he replied in a clear, emphatic voice, adding in a lower tone, and his salvation. Is not that the best theme? And then I want you to sing some hymns with them, you lead on your small instrument, do you not? The wonderful look of brightness and animation on his face as he said this, I shall never forget. For he added, if you take the meeting at three o'clock, this window will be open and you will know that I am joining in with the singing. How I wished that I could have made a picture 
of the fine old man and his beautiful surroundings on that memorable day. Lady Hope's story. Darwin, the untold story. If you were to go today to Down House in Kent, which is a museum to Charles Darwin, you would see the family Bible. And there's a picture on the screen of the Darwin family Bible. And folks, if you were to go today to that, uh, that home and you were to view the Bible, and if you were to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, you would see a mark on the Darwin family Bible. And it's a mark at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. I want you to notice the first part of the verse. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Paul is saying to the newly converted Jewish Christians, he's saying, you need to grow in in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the crux of his message. He's encouraging them to go on, to learn more about the Savior. And of course, that's what happens whenever a person is converted They will have a desire to learn more about the one who has redeemed them, the one who has delivered them by his precious blood. You see, the Holy Spirit lives within the new convert, and the Holy Spirit will create an appetite to learn more about the Savior. But notice that Paul, he speaks of the doctrine of Christ It's not the doctrine of Paul. It's not the doctrine of the New Testament church. That's not what Paul says. It's not the doctrine, if you like, if you want to bring it up to date, it's not the doctrine of the independent Methodist church. No, Paul says the doctrine of Christ. And you see, wasn't that what Mr. Darwin said to Lady Hope? Wasn't that what he said that he wanted her to speak on? Christ, when my friends and neighbors and my my servants are gathered together in the summer house, I want you to speak to them about Christ. My friends, that tells me tonight that Charles Darwin had found a savior. The man who promoted evolution Thank God he repented from it. He turned from it at the end of his life. And he turned to Christ. This is the untold story of Charles Darwin. And at the end of his life, he was taken up with one person and one person only. The person that we should be taken up with tonight. And that's Christ Jesus. And you see, whenever you're taken up with Christ Jesus, then 
you'll be blessed in your own soul and you will be a blessing to others. Christ, it's the sweetest name of all. Let me speak to you for a moment or two about Christ. This wonderful Saviour that we never grow tired, we never grow tired of thinking about him, we never grow weary of meditating upon him. Christ, let me take the letters in the name Christ as we finish tonight. The C, he's the creator. Christ is the creator. That's what Darwin discovered at the end of his life. Do you know there was one thing that always perplexed him about his theory of evolution? Whenever he wrote the, uh, uh, the, the book entitled On the Origin of Species, there was one, uh, there was something at the back of his mind, there was this thing that always nagged at his conscience. And, and it was like a fly in the ointment of the, 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 of the theory of evolution. Do you know what it was, folks? The honeybee. The honeybee. Darwin had studied the honeybee and the design of the honeybee and it perplexed him and he couldn't tally the theory of evolution with the honeybee. It just didn't add up. How that everything had come from nothing on the one hand but then on the other hand you had little creatures like the honeybee that defied evolution. And little creatures that screamed that there must be a creator. The hand that made us is divine, as the hymn writer put it. And eventually Charles Darwin came to know in a saving personal way the creator of the universe, and his name is Christ. Do you know him tonight? You can know about him. Most people on planet Earth know about him, but not many people know him. There's a big difference. Yes, he's the creator. And thank God tonight, he's the creator who at this precise moment is in heaven. Second letter in the name Christ, the H, it stands for heaven tonight. Yes, the Lord Jesus is in heaven tonight because the creator of the universe has died on Calvary for the sins of the world, but he has risen again and ascended back to heaven. And tonight he is doing three things. He's praying for his own people, praying for you tonight if you're saved. Do you know this past week when you were right down in the dumps? You know this past week whenever the devil was hipping and hammering you from every angle and you were like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress down in the Valley of Humiliation fighting Apollyon and Apollyon was about to destroy you this past week. Your Savior in heaven was praying for you. Whenever the pain was at its most excruciating this week during the darkness of the night and sleep was as far away as ever from you, he was praying for you. 
And that's why you're here tonight, still following him in spite of your pain and your suffering, in spite of your sorrow. You're here tonight because the Savior in heaven was praying for you. you. Oh, yes, he he does three things. First of all, he prays for his people. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Secondly, he's saving sinners tonight. At God's right hand, he's delivering the lost. He's adding to his church. He's building his church. And thirdly, he's restoring backsliders tonight. That's what Paul speaks about in Hebrews chapter 6, about coming back to the Lord. And if a person genuinely returns to the Lord, the Lord will receive them. He'll welcome them with open arms. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And he loves to restore the backslider. And the Bible says that he's married to the backslider. And the Lord Jesus is the one who is willing to give us a second chance. He's in heaven with the power to save, the power to restore, and the power to keep. Let me say thirdly tonight that he rescues. Yes, the R in the name Christ It stands for rescue. Jesus is the great rescuer of souls tonight. You know, it's been amazing this past week just to hear about the rescue stories coming out of Turkey and Syria. Just reading there about a little two-month-old baby found alive under the rubble. In Turkey, rescued, a two-year-old baby, rescued from the rubble of a collapsed building, wait for it, after 128 hours. How many days is that? 128 hours after the, under the rubble, but rescued. There's miraculous stories coming out of the awful situation where the earthquake happened. The little ones being rescued. Thank God for the aid agencies, for the rescue teams, leaving our own nation, leaving Israel, coming from different countries on the globe, going to that earthquake zone. But tonight, let me ask you, have you been rescued? Have you been rescued from your sins? Have you been rescued from the condemnation that sin brings? Have you been rescued from the penalty of sin? If not, and you want to be, Jesus can rescue your soul tonight. But then he's the infinite one. The infinite one. The I stands for the infinite You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. The one that we worship tonight and the one that Charles Darwin came to know at the end of his life is infinite. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He had no beginning 
His his existence didn't begin at Bethlehem. No, he has always existed. He was there at the very, very beginning when creation came into being. And back before that, for all eternity before that, in fact, way back into the dim, distant past, Before creation, before the foundation of the world, Christ was there. He's the infinite one. And oh, the wonder that such an amazing person should come into this world to be the savior of sinners. And then let me say tonight that he satisfies, Christ satisfies I want to tell you that satisfaction is not found at the bottom of a bottle. It's amazing how the Lord gives you opportunities to witness to people. I didn't think on Wednesday night when I walked into Super Value, I'd have the opportunity to witness to someone, but I did. And a wee man that I'd got to know, he came walking out of the cellar. You know where the alcohol is. And he came out with his bottle of wine. And we had a wee chat, chit-chat about the weather or whatever it was. In fact, I think it was about the rugby, because he's, he's, into, he's into rugby and sport. But then he said to me, do you not take a wee drink? And all I could think of, and if, if I had been on my own, if it had just been Jonathan there, well then... I wouldn't have known what to say, but the Holy Spirit just put into my mind the words in the book of Isaiah, the wells of salvation. I said, I drink from the wells of salvation. You pray for that gentleman. Pray that he'll drink from the wells of salvation too. Pray that he'll drink the living water that Jesus gives. But what about you tonight? Tell me this. Have you ever been to the wells of salvation? Have you ever drunk the living water that comes from Calvary? You know, it's, there's no water like it. Because it satisfies the soul. I, I started to drink from it in 1996. And I'm still drinking from it. Still drinking from the wells of of salvation. Still drinking from the living water. And I want more of it. Ah, He satisfies. Religion doesn't satisfy. Denominations don't satisfy. I've had my fill of religion and denominations. I'll just be honest with you. Christ satisfies. He's all I want tonight. Give me him and I'm happy. But then let me finish off tonight. This wonderful Christ that Charles Darwin came to know at the end of his earthly life. Let me say tonight he's trustworthy. The C, that means creator. The H means that he's in heaven. The R, he rescues 
The A, he's infinite. The S, he satisfies. The T, he's trustworthy. I want to say tonight that none of us are trustworthy because we're all sinners. We're all fallen creatures. I'll tell you tonight, folks, I'm not trustworthy. Don't trust me because I'm a fallen creature. I'm a sinner. I could let you down. But I want to tell you there's one person and he's at God's right hand and he'll never let you down. And if you look to him and you depend on him, you'll not be disappointed. Oh, if you look to your pastor, you could be disappointed. If you look to a board member, if you look to another Christian, you could be disappointed. That's just reality. But when you look to this man, Christ, you'll never be disappointed. He's trustworthy. I wouldn't trust myself as far as I could throw myself, as the old saying goes. But I tell you tonight, I would trust Christ with everything. And I'm quite happy to entrust my immortal soul into his capable hands. Will you do that tonight? Do you know that afternoon that Lady Hope met with Mr. Darwin? You know what he asked her to do? She was involved with a Sunday school. She was a Sunday school teacher, a Sunday school leader. And he he said to her, he asked her, would you bring your Sunday school children and would you get them to sing that lovely old hymn, There is a Green Hill Far Away, outside a city wall where the dear Lord was crucified, who died to save us all. And the children did come to Mr. Darwin's home and they sang that hymn. And folks, I want us to sing that hymn as we finish tonight. It's 190, hymn number 190. Let's just take the time to sing the hymn through all five verses and we'll stand together as we sing Mrs. Alexander's great hymn.